I think I'm uh, I'm definitely the main character of this podcast. <laughs> the titular character. That's true, actually. Yeah, it's got who's excuse me, whose name is in the title? That's true. That will Mine. always be true. Mine. <laughs> and yes, it was meant to be a joke title, but sure, we ran with it. <laughs> and yes, it's now the key defining aspect of this entire project. Yeah. What of it? You know what? I agreed to it so that you could never cut me out without having to get a replacement, Jen. <laughs> Like, it really narrowed your options for, uh, you know, usurping me from the podcast. (laughs) Like Doctor Who, eventually you will be written out and there'll just always be a gem. Yeah. Jodie Whittaker can come and replace me. It'll be much better. (laughs) Oh, shit. She's got that superior Yorkshire accent, hasn't she? Jokes. Sucks to be Yorkshire. My hip dogs. My yep, name, that's good. You're listening to Jen and the film Gonna critic. Get the kids on board this week. <laughs> a screen mayhem podcast. My name is Jen, and this is my film critic Paul. Say hello, Paul. You hip dog. Hello there. Hello there. Oh no, that was me in a multiple universe. Oh wow. One of which I am slightly more tired. <laughs> You'll never tell which one though. One of one of us got up half an hour earlier than the other. <laughs> that's all the that difference. Was the, that was the decision. And now one of us is a king, a literal king of everything that there is. And the other is just kind of groggy. Stuck on a podcast with me. <laughs> uh, by that, can I assume that you have watched Doctor Strange? And the I have. Mal- multitude of places? Um... <laughs> the multitude of premises. Yes, I have. As a matter of fact, we have some very uh, hefty titles coming up. Because uh-huh. we've got everything everywhere all at once and Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. Multiverse of Madness. Because you can't just call things short anymore. Do you remember yeah. X from a few weeks ago? Yeah. You never have that. No. Things are ridiculous now. But tell you what, let's start with the little guy. Let's start with everything everywhere all at once. Yay! A movie that we have both seen. Yay! Glad <laughs> we're doing this one. This is um, the latest film from Daniel... Qua- <laughs> I don't know where this came from. My notes say Daniel, quotation marks, Dan Quan. <laughs> Daniel the Dan Quan. <laughs> Daniel the Dan Quan. He wants you to know. You can how'd call you, him Dan. Uh, how do you get that nickname? It's funny, it's just what everyone has called me all my life. <laughs> Just there must no be something idea. about me where they, everyone just seems to gravitate towards that nickname. <laughs> so we have Daniel Dan Quan and Daniel Shernet, or the Daniels, as they mm-hmm. are often credited. And yes, they work together on Swiss Army Man. And mm-hmm. then Daniel Shernet actually made a movie a few years ago called The Death of Dick Long, which was extremely good mm-hmm. um, about the mysterious death of a man <laughs> in a small town and uh, how his friends kind of respond to that. It was. I remember yeah. you talking about this on yes. OGT. Yes, yes, it sounded very about good. It there. It's weird, very and good and very funny and yeah, entirely in, in keeping with this. Although it's interesting then to note what exactly Daniel Kwan uh, or Dan Kwan to his friends <laughs> is bringing to the table because there's a definite distinction there. Okay. Um, but yeah, it's, 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 so it's these two guys and they have made a movie in which Evelyn played by Michelle Yeoh um, is just living a fairly standard life. She has her husband, uh, Raymond, uh, Waymond, sorry, played by um, Kihoi Kwan. And a daughter, oh, Joy, played by Joy. Stephanie Hsu. Mm-hmm. They're working in a dry cleaners that is struggling. They are being audited by a terrifying auditor, played by Jamie Lee Curtis. Mm-hmm. 
just as things are sort of reaching ahead and it looks like her husband might be seeking a divorce and her daughter is alienated and disconnected, they suddenly, she receives contact from an alternate dimension Mm. um, where she is informed that in fact there is a terrifying force that is rampaging throughout the multiverse and is attempting to create something that might just destroy all realities all over the world and that only she is equipped to gain the skills from her alternate dimension selves to fight the ultimate evil. It has this big, crazy comic book premise, uh, but the way that it plays out in this co- is a, this bizarre blend of action and comedy that has this fantastical premise, but is largely set within sort of very mundane spaces of sort of an audit office and this uh, dry cleaners, and is very grounded within a story. Bigger than Swiss Army Man, but still weird, and it's not incongruous that it's bigger. It manages to make the silliness feel very cinematic. Mm. Um, because it has this profound sense of silliness to it. We, yes. you know, experience realities that are sort of very silly and a spin-off from jokes in this really weird kind of freestyling way um, mm. that makes it feel very unpredictable and quite natural, like a sort of shaggy dog story at parts. And yet, for all of its ambition and for all of its craziness, it's actually telling a very conventional story in a fairly structured way it's basically telling two movies that complement each other in one of them a woman goes to an audit office where she is forced to reflect on the failures of her life and her disappointment with her life um returns home to a party that she was due to hold that evening has a bit of a tantrum and finally is able to achieve some form of catharsis by realizing that her husband's approach to life of just being nice and seeing the bright side isn't actually a cop-out it's um or naivety it's actually a sort of strategy for dealing with life that she is able to somewhat learn from, as well as coming up with her own solutions to the anxieties that her daughter is facing. Mm. And as a result, she's able to achieve a really beautiful moment, you know, however fleeting they both acknowledge it to be of catharsis with her daughter. That's basically what's happening. And then on top of that, we have these piled layers of just bizarre humor and sort of fantastical moments. And it runs parallel with this action movie story of, you know, an unstoppable force, uh, which is quite funny when you sort of pause to think about what it represents, <laughs> sort of storming towards them, threatening to ruin their lives. This nihilistic force that doesn't want anything because it's, you know, become disillusioned with everything. And that only she is equipped to defeat it by understanding it and then trying to find a solution to the problem that this force has discovered in the world, uh, which is that nothing matters, which is a key concern particularly i i saw when i saw this i saw the directors um talk a little about it and daniel kwan said that um i think i can call him dan now i think we've yeah i think you can yeah, call him dan. i think so we've had, yeah, we've had I think, that i think we've established it yeah i, I think I hope so. this source is good and it's not you know he doesn't have a real problem with being called dan oh god <laughs> i don't know where you're getting your information it might from. Have, it might have come from a really dark place actually in his mm. life Uh, But he talked about how the big problem he has with multiverse is that as soon as a comic book or a movie or anything introduces the multiverse, you have to acknowledge that nothing matters Mm. because, you know, there are endless yous. So, you know, an endless people that you love. So they, this one could die and there would just be another one, except this one decided to have frosted tips, you know, 20 (laughs) years ago. And it's, it's, it's just, it's a distressing idea, but then there's a lot of solutions to that too. And the solution here that I think is offered by this film is this idea that, you know, everything will seem to make sense and you'll feel a sense of belonging and peace now and then, you know, occasionally, and that those are the moments that you sort of go on for and appreciate. So it's about a kind of 
embracing the idea that nothing matters and taking comfort in what you have and the people who are around you, I think. And it focuses in on this beautiful mother-daughter relationship where you've got Michelle Yeoh and um, Stephanie Hsu, uh, who are really good together and very natural and both play up this, play the comedy aspects of the story very well. And in particular, it's really fun that Michelle Yeoh is so game for so much of this. Um, yeah, I really You know, the bizarre that. things that she's doing and required to do is a lot of fun. Um, oh, and then you've got Ki Hoi Kwan as the dad, who's mm-hmm. just amazing. He's been away from screens for a good long while after the roles dried up, after he uh, finished his sort of stint as a child actor. And he's just great. He's really great. <laughs> he's got good physicality. He's got a really good comedic performance. Um yeah, I, I only have nice things to say about this about that performance because I, I found it very endearing. Um, the action is great. They've got a tiny budget, but the things they realize are incredible. Just uh, so ambitious in terms of what they're doing. Um, and just so fueled by the love of the performers, I think, and the people behind the camera. Um, they were able to create something that is just feels huge. And to hear that it had like an eight-week shoot is just surreal. You know, to think that they managed yeah. to cram this all it in is, is... Yeah, <laughs> wild to me that they managed to fit all of that in because it's mm. a, it's a so much... <laughs> it's so sprawling. It, it has a lot in. That's my mm. critique of yeah. cr- my uh, observation on this film <laughs> is that they managed to fit a lot in. Yeah, it, it <laughs> yeah. does. It feels like everything. Like literally everything, a lot of scenes, though. Everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> Probably technically the most costume changes ever. <laughs> yeah oh my god yeah it's ridiculous because it doesn't just create the impression of a world but of a universe of different mm. worlds that each have their own sort of consistent reality that makes sense and it does that with like little impressions like just alternate versions of a room that's been lit and arranged differently and yet you get the the idea that there's a raging inferno outside yeah it's quite something and jamie lee curtis is a lot of fun as well and it's really yes. fun that she's up for all that she is I mean, it's just a very game cast that really invested in the silliness of the premise and as a result, it's a film that is at once very silly, but also very earnest. Mm, it's not a film agree. that feels particularly like it's t- making fun of its own premise. Like it's going to show you absolutely ridiculous things, but with all the emotion in the world, that just means that you can find these moments of resonance and it doesn't feel like a cop out. It doesn't just feel like zoink, you know, oh, that mm. didn't make sense. Well, it doesn't matter. Zoink, uh, we're all very silly here, which you get sometimes in meta humor. Everything is taken so seriously and the film is really putting itself out there. And as a result, it's just a joy, I think. Yeah, I really, really enjoyed it. Yeah. <laughs> and if you don't give this five stars, I'm going to give you a, oh, yeah. a big old punch. Well, I don't want a big old punch, so I'm going to have to give it five stars. Yeah, well, that's the only reason to then. <laughs> no, it's, <laughs> oh. it's a five star movie. It's yeah. it's one of the most inventive, interesting and engaging films. Um, I've now seen it three times in the space of like two weeks and it's still... I am... Um planning yeah. on seeing it again yeah i want to go see this up. again in cinema and if i'm going to go twice it's worth it yeah yeah I, absolutely yeah. <laughs> mm, really enjoyed yep. it original yeah. story some just something new and very yeah. exciting and very fun and you know i love anything that gets silly silly oh, but yeah. sincere is is my ideal <laughs> so uh, yeah this ticked all my boxes oh and all it's so funny all three screenings i've been to have just been cracked you know cracking up and it's including a sort of Thursday night lightly attended Cineworld crowd. It's still yeah. managed to play and still, you know. And in yeah. particular, there's one sequence that if it doesn't get the laughs, it's going to be very obvious. Yes. So I'm always very grateful. Mean. Yeah. So I'm yeah. very grateful that that sequence has gone down so well all three times. Yeah. yeah. 
It's very good. It's a great film to be to have that amazing cinema experience of laughing mm. along with a crowd of strangers. Yes, which you only otherwise tend to get at like a comedy gig. But yeah, this is exactly. The kind of film where everyone was laughing out loud. It's like it always makes me think of the um, the only other film I've seen tons of times, mm. um, which is uh, Dark Knight. Oh yeah. And I always really loved. I saw it like five times in the cinema. Yeah. And I always too. really loved waiting for that moment where the big the big the, they have the big lorry flip. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And just hearing, <laughs> just hearing an entire room of people go. <gasps> yeah, I love that. It's so my favorite cool. thing in cinemas. Like <laughs> yeah. that and the pencil trick moment. Like oh, you yeah. always get certain gasps. Like yeah, yeah you relish that when the first run of a movie. Mm. Um, I remember I loved going to see Inception just so that I could hear the noise the crowd would make after um, after the final scene, the final mm-hmm. shot, because it would be a, a there's a gap between the cut to black and the credits coming in with the music during yeah. which you would usually get a sort of, <gasps> you know, kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> That's really great. Except yeah. one crowd, I think it was the second time I saw it, I just heard someone go, what? <laughs> <laughs> well, honest. <laughs> Some more genuine critique than I'm capable of giving for anything. <laughs> uh, yeah. Including alternate reality. We started with Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. Ooh. So, Paul, how- this is our first film that we're discussing today. Tell me about <laughs> it. You've just slipped into the multiverse. Alternate realities. <laughs> well, it's the latest Marvel movie. And I do wonder with the latest Marvel movie, the extent to which someone off the street could just go and see it. Yeah, that's my I concern think, nowadays. I think they'd get on all right. There'd be a, a weird moment where they're like, why does the movie seem to give a shit that this guy's here? Yeah. But aside <laughs> from that, I think you'd be okay. Basically, the premise is, there's this wizard. <laughs> mm. He's a magical wizard man who can do magic, and his name is Stephen Strange, which is the weirdest part about him. He's Dr. Stephen Strange. Hmm. He is attending the wedding of his uh, former love interest, played by Rachel McAdams, Mm -hmm. when suddenly there is a disruption. A terrifying monster attacks New York, and the monster seems very hell-bent on getting at a particular young woman. Mm -hmm. whose name has completely escaped me for a moment. Uh, It shouldn't have done, though, because I've just remembered it, and it's America Chavez, and that's not Ah. a name... That you should no. be forgetting very easily. No, that's an excellent name. Played by Sochil Gomez. And it then becomes obvious that, in fact, the person who's really after her is Elizabeth Olsen, who plays a different wizard. Uh, she plays the oh. Scarlet Witch from other sort of aspects of the show. And she is desperate to get back her children, um, who, for various reasons, she never really had. But in a parallel universe, she does have children. And she has been kind of dreaming of them. And because of the way her dreams work, um, it means that she has this real connection to them in spite of the fact that she's never had the opportunity to have them, especially since her partner was killed in an earlier one of these Marvel movies. So mm. even without, I think, all of that backstory, you can still appreciate the central premise here, which is that a woman, a grieving woman, wants to do something awful in order to regain what she feels she has lost. Mm-hmm. And it's up to Doctor Strange to try and stop that. So... It's a very, it's a fairly compelling film, and I think it's, it's, again with all Marvel movies, it's a tale of two movies because you have the filmmaker. If you're a director with Marvel, you either assimilate or integrate, <laughs> and Raimi has managed to integrate actually very successfully. Okay, his style is not a million miles away from what a Marvel movie needs because he's always been this guy ever since The Evil Dead. He's been a very a, a director very concerned with sort of big moments audience pleasing you know he's like a carnival kind of guy rather than a sort of auteur although he's made some wonderful films 
he's very much a comic book style guy. And I think a lot of his idiosyncrasies work here, particularly the horror stuff. Because this is, this is, I think, probably the scariest um, Marvel movie. There's a lot of weird little horror moments and jump scares. And, you know, the villain is just a witch, a creepy villainous figure who's sort of relentless and kills people in some very dark ways. And I think that's kind of cool. It reminds me of, like, the darkness of kids' movies from the 80s. So I'm kind of glad to see those elements get integrated. And Sam Raimi does have form with superhero movies, of course. He directed Dark Man, um, a hilarious superhero movie starring Liam Neeson as a man with a melted face who can create liquid skin that he can use to become anybody. Uh, It's great. Uh, And of course, he directed the first three Spider-Man movies, which also have these sort of horror sequences in there. So... It's yeah. it's actually quite a natural fit for him, I think. It has the kind of it has the big ambition of a Marvel story and this sort of universe ending, you know, storyline that's going on, but also manages to play like a Sam Raimi movie, which is to say that it's still quite fun. Cool. The worst instincts that Marvel has are contained or balanced. So for example, the obnoxious cameos you're gonna get from God knows where else is contained to one sequence. Um, near the middle of the movie and actually because of how it plays and what ends up happening it's pretty fun (laughs) it's pretty fun that that happens it's a bit out there because there is this long moment where everybody's just like you know and and it's like oh my god it's them but it's still like Raimi knows how to play it he knows how to make that moment Mm. fun whilst also then doing something with it that is very radical and there is the chance that with this multiverse thing they might lead themselves to taking more risks because they do not have a story, you know, justification for abandoning things that they don't quite go the way they want. Okay. Or resetting the storyline, which, mm. again, is leading towards the everything, everywhere, all at once idea that nothing matters anymore. Because, hey, this reality defeated Thanos, but this one didn't, and, you know, all yeah. the rest of it. So, y- y- yeah, it starts to become a bit problematic, and it it lacks the personal insight, I think, of everything, everywhere, all at once. And it comes down to just mm. being about being content with what you have and acceptance, um, which doesn't quite feel as resonant with the premise as uh, everything everywhere all at once did. Yeah. Uh, Nevertheless, Uh, you've got some good stuff in. Elizabeth Olsen is very good, and it's nice to see her actually be given something to do outside of her television show, WandaVision, mm. because in the movies, it has always just been a case that she's just kind of about. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And it's nice because she's a really good actor as well. Mm. And also this... Without going into spoilers, um, there's a chance this might be her last one. Okay. And that might be a good thing because it would be really good to see her go back to some of the things that she was up to before she, you know, entered the Marvel verse. Mm. Um, and I do believe that she did express dissatisfaction with the fact she's having to turn down so much work because of Marvel, um, because she's been on a lot of them. Yeah. So it's a nice sort of full realization of that character for once, which is good. Um yeah, so it's it's encouraging, I think. It's weird with Marvel okay. when you talk about it because you have to start talking about it as like a strategy or like, mm. you know, it, you, less reviewing a movie and more sort of, I don't know, like some sort of sports commentary. Like, oh, yes, they've they've made oh, progress here. I'll be, mm. I'll be curious to see how they play in the next game. You know, it's... Yeah. Um... Interesting. I can see that building towards the World Cup <laughs> in a couple of years' time. <laughs> they've got a very interesting new player in Raimi and we can only hope that he's going to, the lad's going to do well and yeah. uh, be a rewarding member of the team. Yeah, I hope that they can do this, because, of course, they did struggle with Chloe Zhao, who brought, I think, a really genuinely interesting sensitivity to Eternals. Mm. 
that I would love to have seen play out a bit more earnestly, perhaps without the comedy. Yeah. Um, but nevertheless, maybe if that's going to be the case, maybe if they're going to struggle to support auteurs like Chloe Zhao, maybe they should just stick to directors who have a bit more of a, I don't know, what do you, what do you call it? Like a, a crowd-pleasing sentimentality. Mm. You know, it's people who are a bit more culty, a bit more fun, and then you can still accommodate bizarre visions and little unique idiosyncrasies without compromising on either the Marvel formula or the actual director's, you know, way of doing things. So that might be the thing to consider. But this film, it's fun. I enjoyed it. And it's, yeah, it's, it's an interesting place to be in. I think I would give it four stars because I did genuinely enjoy it, but there is just something... Maybe I'm finally getting the sort of Marvel fatigue that people spoke about, but mm. it is, it's hard to get too excited about like whatever the next one of these is going to be. I think it's just settling in now to just be a kind of background thing where these movies are just the movie that comes out and it, they're fun, um, but somewhat disposable. Yeah. yeah. I've said before, I, I, I unfortunately have just become too overwhelmed with all the Marvel content that's out there. And it's I'm feeling- far too much. At the point, I've never, I've not managed to watch any of the series. No, so that... I get slightly put off. I haven't even watched all the original, different of individual Avengers past movies. Yeah, yeah. I've seen all the <laughs> Avenger films, but not yeah. their all of their oh. back movies. And so I just, even with that, it was already like, huh, who's that? <laughs> you know, and yeah. now it's expanded even further. And there's film, there's TV shows. I sort of I'm like, do I need to have seen that to be able to enjoy the film? But I think realistically, I've seen the first Doctor Strange. I think I could get on yeah. board with watching this i think one. you'll be fine like honestly yeah. i really do feel like most of these movies the good ones anyway do give you all the context you would need so yeah. long as you're yeah. willing to ignore the occasional irritation of well clearly the movie expects me to know who that is yeah that's um, fair. so long as you're willing to overlook moments like that then yeah okay. there's still a story here that's completely possible to get involved with and get invested in mm. but that might well spell the doom of all this because it's headed quite quickly towards where we were with the comic books particularly if they're going to start doing alternate universes which yeah. I mean, they kind of already are now with stuff like the Mobius verse. Mm, true. Like, it's just, it's going to get too much. People are going to be overwhelmed. Maybe. And the barrier to entry for new fans is just going to be too high. That's a shame. Do so, you remember when, um, what was it called? Which X-Men was it? Was it Last Stand? Which is the one where they did time travel? Oh, that was Days of Future Past. Days where of Future Past, Where they had old X-Men you. and new X-Men. Yes, yeah. and I remember, well, at that point, I always really loved X-Men. That was always yeah. one of my favourite, like, oh, superhero things. <laughs> um, and I remember watching that film and coming out mm. of the cinema, I'm pretty certain I saw it with Sarah, coming mm. out and us both just being like, that's so cool, there's so yeah. many possibilities now. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like this is maybe just, there's already been too many possibilities. <laughs> this is coming well, out the other side and realising what, what a brand can do with too many options. It has to be said, this movie does capitalize on some of the acquisitions that Disney have made, you know, of 20th Century Fox. So there's a bit of Mm. alternate universe stuff in there, which again is played somewhat cheesily. Mm. Um, But yeah, it'll be curious to see if they're able to coalesce this whole thing into something. But it feels like that's less, this feels like dispersion. It feels like they're saying now, okay, how can we make people stop trying to follow this? Maybe we'll just make it even more impossible. We'll get mm. to the point where no one could possibly reasonably be <laughs> expected to follow this in a chronological order if they haven't been doing it for the past 14 years? Yeah. 2008, yeah. So they just want Worry. it to be the case if you just pick up whatever one is nearby. Um, yeah. 
and that's kind of going to have to be it because yeah i can't like people are going to want to bring their like 10 year old kids to this and like is that well actually yeah 10 years that's probably fine but like <laughs> there's going to be a point where there's just too much of this for anyone to reasonably catch up on and yeah. especially if they're going to start cranking out three or four television series a year yeah yeah that's true. Nevertheless, I'm happy to see that so much of Sam Raimi got into this Marvel movie mm. to including a moment near the end, which really did just have me laughing with with okay. real joy That's that funny. Sam Raimi had managed to convince Marvel to do something that they oh. did. I yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think I would still go see this. I, it's just mm. one of yeah. Um it's just one of those things. I do I, in, it. I enjoyed the first I enjoyed the first Doctor Strange. Mm. Um I loved Benedingi Cumberbumble and his silly this. American accent. <laughs> yes, he's a lot more natural in this one. Is he? Because in Doctor oh, Strange, you got the impression they were trying to figure him out on the fly. Yeah. It's like, okay, does he love music? Yeah. He knows when all the charts were released. Is that his thing? Yeah. Is that what we're doing with him? And like, how do we make him more like Tony Stark? He's <laughs> like, there's actually, they're figuring out something to do with him here. And it's this idea, actually a somewhat fun idea that he is the guy who always needs to be carrying the knife. He okay. has to be the guy who makes the decision. He can't delegate or trust yeah. other someone else to do the thing that they need to do. And that's the sort of central drama there. And that's quite a okay. fun that is interesting. dynamic. Although, again, it's just not as naturally co- uh, congruous with the idea of uh, the multiverse as mm. everything everywhere all yeah. at once is, you know, central premise yeah. was. Mm. Yeah, that's fair. Um, on the other hand, I do love anything that gets a bit sci-fi and ty- anything yeah. time travelly or <laughs> multiversey is... Yeah, it's fun. So I would go see this. They have some fun. They have some fun with the multiverse idea. Mm. Okay, it's a yes from me. It's a yes and a four from you, and a four. It's a maybe from Jen. It's a yes. (laughs) It's a it's an okay from me. Yeah. (laughs) Um. Well, now we move on. Unfortunately, and uh, the big release of last week was Firestarter. Ah, oh, twisted fire starter. A twisted fire starter. Yes. A twisted fire starter is what it is. Mm-hmm. So this is an adaptation of the Stephen King story uh, from Keith Thomas, who, from what I can see, hasn't done all that much else. Something called The Vigil, uh, which is a horror movie. I don't think I saw. Yes, this is the story of a young girl, Charlie, played by Ryan Kira Armstrong, and she has this telekinetic, te- a pyrokinetic ability. She can start mm-hmm. fires with her mind. And she also has the ability to, I think, read minds a little bit and move things with her mind. And she has been born to two parents who took part in a kind of weird experiment when they were in college. Uh, One parent is Zac Efron Mm -hmm. uh, playing Andy, and the other is Sidney Lemon. And they have telekinetic abilities as well, which they've tried to suppress. And as the movie starts, they are on the run the three of them, mm. uh, from the sort of institute that gave them these powers. Uh, and they're trying to lay low, but Charlie's powers are getting out of control. The story, to me, seems to be fairly derivative even when it was new. Mm. Because King wrote it after Carrie and Lawnmower Man, which both have... Which right. is kind of a cross between the two, this idea of a super-powered young girl who can't control herself. And then also this sort of corporate espionage, government tracking you down kind of thing on the run. And subsequently, we've had Logan and we've had Midnight oh, yeah. Special. Yeah. So both of which did this premise very, very well. So the premise is not particularly new or exciting. I don't know. When I think of like the idea of Firestarter and a young girl who can start fires with her head, like with her head, with her head, she's got a, <laughs> her hair is like um, a match box. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You strike a match on her head. 
there's intriguing premises there. Oh, and Stranger Things as well, of course, is similar mm, to all of this. Of so course, it's, yeah. It's so well-trodden ground, and I can't quite see what it is that excited people about the idea of adapting Firestarter. It's at its best when it's silly. Okay. Um, because there are moments of melodrama and there are moments of camp. Gloria Rubin plays a the head of this institute, and she's quite good because yeah. she's very cheesy. <laughs> she's very over the top and kind of delivers the dialogue in this very weird, unnatural way. She's like a mm. Amanda Waller from the Suicide Squad. She's just got this ruthlessness to her that's quite fun. So when she's about, it's quite fun. And then the fun. John Carpenter is scoring it as if it were his adaptation of Christine, a vastly superior film. <laughs> um, it's got all of the cheese in there. Um, but the film is just taking itself so seriously and is mm. playing it as a genuine kind of road movie with these characters. And there's not much in the way of character there. Through mm. no fault of Ryan Kira Armstrong, who is giving it her all and is doing really well and is getting across that sort of power and that, mm. you know, fear and yet, you know, someone who is becoming herself. She's very good. But there's, they've not given her a character, really, no. to the point where as the film goes, I don't know what her sense of morality is or what her values are or what she really wants. She likes her dad. That's kind of it. Nice. You know, and yeah. it's... That's the problem is Stephen King is a really good premise guy, but he will get bogged down in semantics if you let him. Unless you just take his premise and make your own story like Stanley Kubrick did, you're going to end up writing several pages about just the mechanics of this world and how it works. And Unfortunately, Firestarter is not very good. It's it's very perfunctory um, okay. and lacks the sense of fun that I think it needed because I saw this with Katie and we were just hoping, when we saw it had bad reviews, you know, there's a moment in the trailer where she says... She says to someone, liar, liar, pants on, and then like their trousers are going to burst. It's like, we wanted stuff like that. We wanted yeah. it to be cheesier than it was. Yeah. Um, if not that, then substantially better. But there's mm. a lot of competition for better. So they could have at least made this the proper Stephen King one because Stephen King is very cheesy in and of itself. He's a, mm. he's a, a, a writer who has given an awful lot of good stories that very talented filmmakers have been able to turn into turn. very good films. Okay generally the more involved he is the worse the film is okay. <laughs> he's not got the cinematic touch really no. um i don't know how involved he was in firestarter but it feels like a very solidly faithful adaptation of the story which doesn't make for mm. a very engaging film unfortunately ah well ah well it's the one uh, star i think because i was slightly one. irritated by it yeah i was wow. kind of annoyed by it i was annoyed by it existing <laughs> like okay. why go to all this effort to tell yeah. something so uninspired here like who yeah. really cared about this did this happen as a tax project you know it's like <laughs> I yeah don't know. who cared here because i didn't get that care mm. zach efron maybe zach efron cared. cared a lot i feel like oh. he does poor zach he's got a good beard in this he does he got real buff at one point didn't he he got crazy buff for baywatch yeah buff for baywatch yeah i'm always just gonna think of him as like the guy from High School Musical. Yeah. Yeah, he has that. And I don't think he's really found that breakthrough role yet. No, um, I believe that he could have like a moment where suddenly we're like, oh my gosh, Zac Efron can act. Yeah. Like I well, can see that. <laughs> some people really do swear by him and say that he's been, yeah. you know, very good. People who even mm. say he was very good in High School Musical, which I've not yeah, he seen. Was. Yeah, <laughs> he was. I'm going yeah. on record. High School Musical was great. I loved it when it first <laughs> came out. And I was like... 16 i was far too old but i loved it i loved it a lot the music's great 
Yeah. Every so often I think of one of the songs from it, I'm like, I'm having a good time. <laughs> I think you'd like it. I think as someone who enjoys Eurovision, I, I think it. you might have a fun oh, yeah. time with High School Musical. <laughs> I enjoy musicals in general. It came out at this a bad time for me. super sort of cheese. Seeing it. I should see it. It's beyond cheese. It's it, <laughs> mm. Yeah, it's very Disney, you know. Yeah. But, um, okay, yeah. Uh, no, I won't go see this one. No. I watched the trailer, no... though, when you said you were going to go see it. I watched the trailer. <laughs> yeah. I know well, the trailer it... promised something at least, at least a little bit fun. Mm. It, and it didn't promise that much. No. I don't. I can't see anyone getting much out of this. Not horror fans. Not. I, I can't. Think, I don't think Stephen no. King fans are going to be particularly, you know, enthusiastic. Yeah. It's um. Yeah. It's kind of dull. Did they at least use real fire in the? Yes, actually, stunts? yes. They used a lot of fire. It looked like a fair oh. amount of things got set on fire, and you have to That's appreciate fun. that. It yeah. is fun. I would appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. Always nice when you know someone actually got set on fire to make a bad film. <laughs> exactly. God bless them for that. Hey, work for stunt people, isn't it? Absolutely. Ah, not much work for stunt people in Vortex. Vortex? Gaspar Noe's Vortex. Okay. Yep, yep, here we go. Right. So Gaspar Noe... I've seen a Gaspar Noe film, but I know. (laughs) You know of him. I I know. I mean, this is a guy who, when he released, I think it was, um, I think it was Climax... You know, mm. the poster said, you know, you hated Irreversible. You, mm. you know, avoided Enter the Void and... Oh, avoided. I get it. Um, <laughs> you, nice. you know, hated Love, which was the film he made with unsimulated sex I scenes in it. Love. Yeah, love is, mm. love is for the weak. And, mm. you know, he, so he's a provocateur and he sort of sells yeah. himself as this kind of enfant terrible of, um, of filmmaking, of which there were far too many qualified candidates for that role already. <laughs> um, and he's made very good films. And he mm. has... An almost frustrating, frustrating uh, capacity for humanity, and almost all of his films have this. In you know, his French extremity films have all of these moments that really just show you his ability to portray tender moments between people in a very believable way. Um, Vortex is no way at his mildest, and yet potentially most devastating. Ooh. Each of his movies begins, well, a lot of his movies begin with a quote, and this one starts with a quote, dedicated to all those whose brains decayed before their hearts. Wow. So, yes, um, this is a couple. We have Dario Argento, the weird 70s and 80s ah. uh, cult filmmaker, playing... Who made... Who made... Uh, who made s- s- oh. S- uh, it's there. Oh. It is. What? You're right. <laughs> the dance one, right? Yeah. The dance one with the vampires? Uh, they're witches. Witches? Yeah. Suspiria. 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 <laughs> Look at me knowing stuff about a film. It's it's only taken like five Heck years yeah. of knowing you for me to... Uh... I'm really glad the Suspiria is the knowledge that has um, yeah. sort of made its way over. But yeah, there's yeah Dario Gento is in the lead, as in the role here as the sort of uh, man of the couple. And then you have Francois Lebrun as Ellie, um, as Elle. And she is now, yes, experiencing dementia. And mm. it's just about this couple living together and, you know, she's beginning to act erratically and forget things mm. and it's putting a lot of tension on their relationship. Almost the entire thing is set inside of this home um, between the two that is flat, that is absolutely just filled with the evidence and leftovers of the life they've lived together. And it's just about them drifting apart. Uh, the entire film is told in a split screen so for okay. almost the entire film, you have a left-hand side and a right-hand side. The left-hand side will typically follow, 
you know, one of them whilst the other one follows the other. And Interesting. they only actually share the same frame together a few times. And even then they are separated in quite a way um, by sort of depth. And so it's interesting because previous movies that have focused on dementia have focused on, have had to sort of pick their experience. Um, you have, for example, uh, Michelle Henneke's um, Amour, which was very much the experience of the survivor, you know, of the person mm. who sort of lives with the person who has dementia. Uh, then you have Florian Zeller's extraordinary film, The Father, which was an attempt to tell a story from the perspective of the person experiencing the dementia. Um, yes. And that was Anthony Hopkins. I was going to say, is that, yeah. that, mm. yeah, that was very, just a couple of years ago, right? It was, yeah. Yeah, and okay. it had um, Olivia Colman as, as his... Um, Olivia Colman, yeah. Yeah, as his daughter. Very good film. Very uh, difficult film to watch in places. Mm. Um, but an extremely inventive one. Here, by having the split-screen experience, we are able to sort of experience both at the same time, the experience mm. of the person trying to live with the person with dementia and also the person with... Um, experiencing dementia themselves and yeah it's really interesting to sort of demonstrate even when in sequences where they are together they are separated by this thick black bar that separates the screen that they are just living different lives and having these different moments now and that as a result they're just drifting further apart Mm. Um, into this you also have the son uh, played by Alex Lutz um, who is trying to do his best in spite of struggling with his own issues and his story is really the most Noe-esque because he's a bit of a drug uh, user himself and there are sequences of him out in the streets. He runs some kind of responsible drug use clinic where uh, people can just show up and get needles from him. Mm. Um, an initiative I imagine is running uh, in France. I've heard of it elsewhere. Yeah, safe yeah, use. Except... I know. I hear about them a lot in the States. Apparently they do exist here in the UK as well. Oh, really? Because they weren't yeah. rooms. I've heard of it uh, from uh, Goodman in the context of Melbourne, of just you being taken to a room and sort of being doing it there in supervision. This was just literally like a uh, like a, a, a kiosk where they were just handing things mm. out so they could then go off. But yeah, I guess, yeah, sure that would still... It is here. It sounds, I think that would yeah. still benefit public health, though, if people had clean oh, gosh, yeah. and such, yeah. Yeah, safe use centres. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, yeah so it, you have his experience as well, which sometimes occupies one side of the screen. And so it's this beautiful story of... A, a very relatable in human household sort of falling apart. And one thing that was really interesting about it was the presence of movies because um, the, the, the man of the couple is a, very much a, the Dario Argento character is a movie buff. He loves movies. Okay. He's long sequences of him talking on the phone about movies and there are movies playing on screens at various points. You've got um, a sequence from uh, Andrei Tarkovsky's Stalker takes up a prominent uh, moment. No, Solaris, sorry, takes up a prominent moment on screen. Mm. And at various other points, there are other films alluded to and referenced. And it's just interesting, this idea, because the movies still look so new and fresh and just always will be. And yet it is the lives around them that have sort of gotten old and started to deteriorate in these ways. And it did cause a lot of self-reflection as a result. This idea that, you know, the movies I love are going to continue to be new and, you know, and shiny and, you know, preserved. Mm as I get older. And that was a curious thing to think about how my relationship with movies might change as I get older or potentially even more frighteningly stay the same as I get mm-hmm. older. If I still continue to just have these long and in rambling chats about, you know, movies when I'm in my seventies, it's going to be curious, but yeah, yeah Noe's Noe's style here is perfect for capturing this. Uh, these long sequences that track characters through the house, either in fear or, you know, in confusion 
and his inventiveness and the things that he's wanting to do to try and make you feel a sense of loss or a sense of concern and also in just capturing the humanity at the center of it all is yeah. really quite touching so it is five stars it's a tough watch wow. it's okay. it's hard yeah, to imagine, imagine like watching it twice but nevertheless it was i might watch it twice simply for the cinematic technique on display okay. uh, i might be able to sort of overcome my you know concerns about its subject <laughs> matter in order to just enjoy the sheer level of filmmaking being displayed here interesting oh and it's um it's interesting to note where it came from for Noe, because um, in addition to having a mother, he lost two dementia. He um, wrote a lot of this as he um, experienced a ter- uh, horrifying brain hemorrhage last year. Oh, wow. And uh, he was at the screening I was at. He came and uh, introduced the film. And he was talking about his experiences of being on a tremendous amount of opium as a result as they were doing the mm. surgery. And him having this very peculiar feeling of, it's very dark as a concept, not minding if he didn't wake up. And he said that as someone who's had a lifelong fear of death, that was obviously a very challenging thing to then come to terms with later. The fact that he got to a point where he suddenly felt that he could let go. And so that's part of the reason he wanted to come to this as well. He also talked about just tripping balls whilst watching Gravity (laughs) on the television. Just feeling like he was Sandra Bullock in that movie. Right. (laughs) Yeah. So he's a complicated guy. (laughs) Yeah. the, The opiates, they do... I've heard some. I've heard it's a fun time. Yeah. <laughs> I it's mean, a pretty you don't get time. put on morphine unless you really need it. But yeah. I've heard once you're on it, it's pretty, it can be pretty fun. <laughs> I've heard it can be compellingly fun, but a bit Moorish. Mm, mm, I hear so. I hear yeah. so. Yeah. He did also apparently, and I've not seen it yet. The BFI are screening Lux Eterna soon, which is a movie okay. where he used the same split screen technique, but apparently for comedy. So okay. yeah, I'll be curious to see to see how that played out from Mister Gaspar yeah. Noe. Interesting guy. The only the only thing of his filmography I've seen is the opening sequence to, which one is it where they do a big dance scene? Oh, climax scene. Yes, I've seen yeah. the opening sequence to that, and it was very good. Yes, it was. And because a friend good. was like, I saw this terrifying French film with a really great opening sequence <laughs> with it. I think she was showing it me because they do some voguing maybe in it. Yeah, I think they do. And she shirt and pulled it up, and I was like, Ah, Gaspar Noé. <laughs> I know of him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think a lot of people mm. hear of him. He does have that reputation. It is well deserved. But yeah, the only thing that's fair. shocking in here is just the sort of gradual, <laughs> inevitable decline of life. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's uh, which, yeah, it's a big topic. Which in that's some ways topic. is even more upsetting than seeing a guy getting his head stoved in with a fire extinguisher. It's a shame those are the choices. But if you've got your no way yeah, box set, that's other. what you're getting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm a complete wuss with um, gore, so I might still have to take the existentially challenging (laughs) (laughs) subject of mental decline. But the stoving in would be quicker. Mm. (laughs) Fewer care needs. If you do it right. Yeah. (laughs) Should we talk about something a bit more upbeat? Jolly. Yeah, Yeah, go on. How about World War I poetry? Yeah, lovely. (laughs) Thanks, Paul. (laughs) How I how could help. I guess? How could I guess? <laughs> I can't help the movie. We've had everything everywhere all at once. We can uh-huh. shift to the parallel universe where we talked about that last. Yeah. Can we just <laughs> talk about it again? <laughs> we can. But this isn't actually a depressing film. This is Benediction. Okay. And uh, this is about Siegfried Sassoon, mm-hmm. uh, played here by Jack Loudon. And it's the new film by Terence Davies, an excellent British filmmaker who's mm-hmm. been making extraordinary work since the 80s. And not very often either. He only He's only made a handful of films and um is there to be cherished every time he releases one so we follow siegfried as he goes off to the war 
has some experiences out there which are largely told through sort of stock footage and his poetry over narration. And then he ends up going to a hospital where he is detained and he meets various mm-hmm. other people. He meets Wilford Owen and has a sort of um, short relationship with him. There is a friendship that uh, develops. Then it's, it moves on, actually. It moves past that. It moves past him uh, sort of trying to get out of the war and conscientious objection and being found to be um, sort of mentally unfit for service because he doesn't want to send young men to their death anymore. Oh, um, funny it, it, yeah, weirdo. Mm. It moves past that and <laughs> it follows him into like high society as he becomes fairly acclaimed as a poet after the war. Um, and he meets, um, oh, it's not an old coward, Ivan Novello. Mm. And starts a relationship with him, which ends up being mm-hmm. quite uh, tumultuous. Um, and then gradually we follow him into older life, where he's picked up as being played by uh, Peter Capaldi. And he ah. meets with some of the figures who sort of, you know, he knew and loved in younger life and sort of tries to rectify himself against the various tragedies and difficulties that he's had with adapting back to life after having mm. experienced so much horror. It's an extraordinary film. It looks gorgeous. It's just visual poetry in terms of its editing and its cinematography. It's um, this effortless kind of gliding effect through everything. You have a very powerful script, which is actually very funny. Simon Russell Beale mm. is here as well as a sort of friend of his who introduces um, the traumatized Siegfried <laughs> around various um, high society folk. And there's just some really funny dialogue, very snappy even, which is really oh, nice. great and delivered excellently by Loudon. Um mm. And yeah, it's just once it gets past this this thing about war with this um these these huge themes around this around this terrifying event, the rest of the story is just about sort of loss and love and aging and the sort of gentleness of his life and his attempts to yeah make it work and also his struggle with being a sort of gay man in the nineteen mm. you know twenties and thirties and what that meant for his relationships with others. Although there's fewer sort of there's fewer moments of sort of outright discrimination to sort of ruminate on. And it's more about just this idea of a life lived in the shadows and, mm. you know, of grief in one way or another. Um, mm. So it's not necessarily the downbeat film you might think it is. It's a lot funnier, okay. perhaps, than you may suspect. Um, but it doesn't shy away from, yeah, the idea of what it meant to be one of the people who came back from mm. World War One and sort of try to pick up the threads of that life. Interesting. Yeah, it was very okay. good. I, I saw it at the film festival last year, and I yeah, I think I give this one five stars as well. Oh, interesting. Of the films we're talking about, three of them I saw the direct, uh, four of them I saw the director come and talk about at the beginning oh, of the screening. That's strange. <laughs> that's cool. Oh, that's what you get when you live in London, isn't it? Oh, bloody London. Mmm, gets all the good stuff. You won't live, you won't get that living down a pit. No. Although no. Gaspar Noe does sometimes come to the pit. Yeah, I could imagine. Imagine you go down the pit and he's like, I've been waiting. <laughs> oh. hey. Let me tell you about your film. <laughs> Do you have anything to eat? That's more of a stoner. I was trying to think of what an LSD head guy might say to you. Uh, I don't know. I don't do Am drugs. I... <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Are we in the cave? Or are we out? Is everything else in the cave? But do that with a French accent. Oh, yeah, yeah. An offensively yeah. broad French accent. Mm-hmm. And you've got yourself a Noe. Yeah. He's such an unpresuming man as well. He came and was just really Aww. nice. This kind of yeah. shy figure who was very funny, but had he had his big mustache and he's getting to be an older man, so he just looked to me like a farmer. Oh, that sounds nice. <laughs> does he look like one of the farmers from uh, Jean de Florette now? He does. Yeah. Let me just Google him. Because when he's a younger man, he's got this big provocative mustache and he looks like Tom Hardy in Bronson. 
But now he's oh, just a... yeah. <laughs> he seems nice. He, yeah, I think he is. <laughs> yeah, his Wikipedia picture really sells it, I think. it's um. He came and he talked about getting uh, Dario Argento on board. And um, Dario Argento had seen all of his films except Love. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so Dario Argento said, oh, come, we'll, we'll watch the film now. And so he just sat there with Dario Argento watching this film, which features very hardcore, unsimulated sex scenes. Wow. <laughs> just him and this 80-year-old director just watching this movie together at 10 a.m. On, um, on a Sunday morning. And then afterwards it, it ended and he just and Dario Argento just said, let's get lunch. <laughs> <laughs> okay, what else are you going to say? <laughs> well, indeed. Yeah. Oh, God. Love was an odd one. <laughs> yeah. Love was in 3D. <laughs> Love is in 3D, Paul. <laughs> love is in 4D. It You've got to love... Remember Interstellar. Love transcends space and time. It does. You're it does. right. Thank you, Anne Hathaway. Thank you, Dr. Anne Hathaway. I have one last movie to talk to you about, and it's... um, Oh, it's an odd one. Yeah? Yeah, this is Dashcam. Oh, is this uh... a horror? This is a horror, and it was at the London Film Festival, so you mm. presumably can tell me about it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You memorized another one i again like i said read the entire program including <laughs> all the horror knowing full well i wasn't going to see any of them <laughs> i've got that perverse need to know what happens in horror films yeah well it's very interesting not watch the horror films we have this is rob savage now rob savage scored he's been working in horror for ages but he got a big success last year because mm. um he made a movie called host which came out okay. during the pandemic and was about a seance conducted over zoom okay and it was about the resulting horror sort of deconstruct uh, setting a standard horror movie in the construct of a zoom call Mm. where everything you experience is sort of from the screen of a a laptop and it was good it was fine it was very entertaining it was Mm. a good laugh and it had some really genuinely affectingly scary moments in it how is horror ever a good laugh? It's always a good oh, laugh. God. you got to laugh at the things that scare you. It inoculates you uh... against experiencing this kind of fear in the real world. And it's the only thing that allows me to be on this Zoom call with you right now. Yeah, it does. For... Boo! Ah! Fuck. Yeah, I got it's, you. It got you real. <laughs> is, that, is that in the trees outside your window? <laughs> <Yeah>. Don't. Don't. Because <laughs> you know what? You know it'll freak me out. <laughs> <laughs> this is why I need to watch more horrors because I am just yeah. such, I'm such a wuss. Yeah. I'm really resisting the urge to turn around and look behind me now. I, I, honestly, I wouldn't. I <laughs> actually wouldn't. You? I did it. I turned around and looked. <laughs> I'm, not gotta... turning on my, I'm not turning on myself view again. I refuse. I will not. Fair enough. I'd rather just not know. You know what? I'm I'd rather just right get now. my head stoked in. If I get stuck in a horror film, I'm not being the last girl. Yeah, screw that. I don't want the PTSD and trauma of having survived that. <laughs> Just take me out. I want to be the person who dies before they know it's they're in a Yeah, that's a pretty film. sweet position, right? To be the one who just yeah. gets like blindsided. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Sorry everybody, but I'm a wimp and I'm I'm going first. <laughs> because I know that also if I do know that there's a problem, I'm going to dump you all and run as fast as I can. Yeah, that's fair. We've all <laughs> not saving that. anybody. You made us agree to that when we when yeah. first befriended you. Um Yeah. Yeah, so Rob Savage, he made this movie and he had this hit. The only problem with Host was that it never really felt like it was... It always felt like it could do more because it was a movie set on Zoom during the pandemic, but it didn't really play on the new fears that we all had as Mm. a result of the pandemic. It always felt like, well, if you're going to tell the pandemic horror movie, you could maybe make the fear somehow about 
the idea that close contact with loved ones could be a, a harmful thing to do to them or yeah you know this the fear that you might that something is happening that is beyond your control or that you might be trapped in your home but it wasn't it was a pretty standard ghost story just set on zoom okay now we have this film and dashcam is also attempting to be very contemporary in addition to having various references to the pandemic we have annie hardy playing annie hardy a okay alt-right streamer okay violently rejects mask wearing who Mm -hmm. is very insulting to people around her who wears a make america great again cap Mm -hmm. um and makes various references to sort of libtards and various other Mm. things and it's just generally this kind of unpleasant character but i think the idea is that it's kind of like a comedy thing here is that she's like humorously awful and she befriends um, this British guy. Well, oh, she is friends that. with this British guy. Is, the, is that the true horror of the, of the film? <laughs> the horror is being I made friends friend. with a British guy. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's Amma Chatter Patel, a stretch, who mm. is her friend. And they end up in this weird situation where they are having to travel with a an old woman named um, Angela, who is played by Angelo Enaharu. Mm-hmm. And... Yeah, she, they are sort of transporting her as part of like this job, but it turns out there's something sinister going on. Um, and the whole film is once again found footage. It's told from the perspective of this live streamer's, you know, cam footage. It's interesting. It's a horror comedy and it is fairly funny. And there are genuine scares and a lot of jump scares and a sort of sense of fun to it. Ultimately, I did find myself just a little bit distracted by its main character <laughs> and not quite knowing what it was saying. Like it does something in its very final moment that feels like okay maybe this whole thing was like a joke about this Mm. but it's not absolutely clear and as a result i don't know i just don't know what it's quite trying to do with that um except to say hey wouldn't it be funny if you know a horror film happened to an unlikable person and would the audience actually get on board with them on a basically human level if you know they were put into these terrifying situations so it's interesting, but it's not... And it does work fairly well as a horror film to be watched with a crowd, again, because of jump scares. But I don't know. Once again, I feel like maybe Savage has missed the point here and that mm. something else could have been told with this story because, you know, it was... The, the movie originally, I saw it at the London Film Festival, which I think was before... Was it before? No, it must have been after Biden um, won the election. Yes. My sense of time yes. during that period is no. just completely gone. <laughs> Were the elections not in November? Of l- the year before, right? He came, he became pre because the the capital riots weren't January this year they were January. Oh no, you're right. Yeah, last no, year. it is after. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh, where's that I year know. gone? I know, right? It's 2022. <laughs> it's 2022. I must God. be somewhere. <laughs> what are the us doing in the alternate dimension where there was no pandemic? Same thing. Yeah, same thing. Probably less podcasting, to be fair. <laughs> maybe. Yeah. I'm not maybe. sure I'd ever got into podcasts if uh, I hadn't stopped doing my other hobbies. <laughs> if I hadn't given up on real life. <laughs> you joke just remember that if you die in a podcast you die in real life as well Um, (laughs) so yeah dashcam is it's three stars i found it to be a somewhat entertaining horror film that i would watch again but it's it's just a little disappointing they couldn't have done more Mm. with the premise fair fair enough yeah that's a no from me thanks fair enough (laughs) yeah this is a great no on all horror unless it's get out again yeah if they make well no comes back out nope is no i'm still yeah, no, I'm not. I've watched the trailer. Yeah, the trailer's that's really nope spooky. Nope. 
<laughs> no plugs are really trailer scary. looks real scary. I don't yeah. want it. I like the horses. I like the horses. The, in the horses trailer, are good. There'll be horses that, in the movie. I'm looking forward to reading the Wikipedia plot summary. <laughs> As I did for us. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Not watching that either. Oh, fair enough. Too scary. I can tell you right now. But you know, Gao was good. I might but have... I will admit, hmm. I looked up the uh, the IMDb family guide <laughs> to see what horror, like, who was, like, you know, because it'll be like, someone will get stabbed through with a pair of antlers or whatever. And yeah. um, you're like, it doesn't say who or when or what, but it'll just be like, a person gets stabbed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so when, like, a pair of antlers turn up, I'm like, oh, okay. It's fine. As long as I know. It's the suspense. It's the spoiler paradox. As long as you know exactly what's going to happen, you'll be fine. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Well, that just about does it for all of the films I could have discussed in any reality. Mm Mm-hmm. Sounds about right. That's how time travel. I keep calling it time travel. It's not time travel. Yeah. Film of the week, film of the month. It's probably going to be everything everywhere all at once for quite a while. Yeah. Go see it. Go see it a couple of times. Yeah. It may well be. Film of the year. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of year left, and the back end of the year is always backloaded with amazing things. But true, that's true. It's um, it's it's a front runner definitely at the moment. For me, it's gonna be hard to beat because it just it takes yeah. so many boxes for me personally. It even managed yeah. to beat the Northman. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Previous favorite, the Northman. Oh, was that your previous favorite of the year? I think so. Oh, I don't know. If I, I didn't realize you were that yet. keen on it. Yeah. Well, it's not been a huge year just yet no i guess i guess a lot of stuff that we've been talking about was there's a lot of promise 2022 who 20... knows One. what top gun maverick is gonna, is gonna <laughs> hold <laughs> that's out this friday next friday true good lord mm. so just stay tuned for that and jurassic world 3 that's true that's and the fact true. oh that's right my number one was oh, Elvis. secrets of uh secrets of dumbledore which i secretly saw Oh yeah, loved it. <laughs> nah, get out of here. <laughs> Canceling this podcast if you say that. <laughs> Good, you're fired. Film oh. critic, critic is easily replaceable. Your name's not in the title. That is absolutely true. <laughs> you just get swap you out for any critic. old film critic. <laughs> excellent, excellent. Thanks for the films, Paul. That's okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah uh, and thank, thank you, you for listening. The movies. <laughs> the films I'm seeing. Da da da. Thanks for all the. Joy, they're breaking vortex. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Who could live without them? Most people. We don't need them to survive. Yeah. I ask all don't honesty. we? Is it not our dreams? Well, yeah, I guess. What is the point of art? And that's the question we're going to leave you on this week. Always a philosophical, que- philosophical question. Philosophical. You get one each week. I can't help but say You always get a philo- philosophical question at the end of each episode. And this yeah. one is, what's the point of art? What's the point of art? And if you haven't noticed the previous ones, then pay attention. <laughs> Go back and listen. But they're not always yeah. at the end. You have to listen to the whole ep. Yeah. Mm. There's always one. Just a thinker. A little thinker for your noggin. Oh, a little puzzle. <laughs> a little puzzle. Uh, <laughs> you've been listening to Jen and the Film Critic, a Scream Mayhem po- podcast. I can't yeah. speak tonight. <laughs> a scrum... A scrum mayhem. A scrum mayhem. A screen mayhem podcast. My name's Jen, and this is my film critic, Paul. Get up. Our theme music was by Jacob Blundell, mm. and you can get in touch with us on Twitter or other social medias at Screen Mayhem. Well, now that's it. I don't think yeah. you're going to say anything else, right? That's good. No, I'll do. Hard cut to music. Okay. Oh, goodbye. Goodbye.